I just want to echo Tanya's words this morning. It is possible for us to read what we're about to read and for it to simply be ink on a page. And as we come to open these words that the Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved, we bring ourselves before it asking that the Lord would do a work in our heart, that his spirit would come in and that it would speak to us, that God himself would speak to us and meet with us. Lord Jesus, would you help our minds to be sharp and our hearts to be open? Lord Jesus, where you need to come in and help us either recognize things or deal with things or maybe understand things to address the desires and the wants of our heart, Lord God, please help us to be open and humble before you. We present ourselves now to your word. In the name of Christ, amen. Please have your Bible open. Uh, we are in Corinthians chapter 5. And, um, and we're going to do a short little recap, and then we're going to have a look at five verses this morning. Then we are going to pray what we said a fortnight ago we were going to pray. Um, we'll talk about that as we go along. Um, in Corinthians chapter 5, as, um, as Paul has been speaking to the Corinthian church, we get through chapter 4 and he's been talking all about the issues with leadership, issues with leadership, issues with leadership. They hadn't been educating the people right. They hadn't been um, leading them correctly. There'd been a whole lot of difficulties going on. And then Paul, into chapter 5, addresses a very specific example of just how... Um, messed up the Corinthian church was, that this practice has been going on. This is part of the reason that we sent the kids out this morning. Um, verse 1 says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. In the, in the original language, that is not even named amongst the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And we're going to pray that later on this morning, by the way. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. And we spoke about how this is an identity issue, that when sin continues on uh, being part of someone's life, it actually affects who they think they are, that they go, oh, this is just part of me. And we spoke, uh, we spoke, I hope, very clearly going that sin is not who you are. You are not your sin. If, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are God's child. And actually, sin is something we're supposed to leave behind. It's no longer supposed to be part of our life, but it's also not supposed to have power over us. Verse, uh, verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the festival. That's the festival of unleavened bread. Sorry, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we spoke about how um, Paul here is using the example of a Passover feast 
and saying that just as you would prepare for Passover by getting rid of all the yeast in your house, now we follow the Lord by actually deliberately seeking to get rid of the sin that's at work in our life. We're going to have a look through uh, the, the last five verses of chapter 5 this morning. But we talked about these, these different groups that are involved in this situation. Verse 9, and this is our passage for today. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, so those who worship idols. In that case, you would have to leave this world. We're going to talk about that. Verse 11, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Really strong anti-Australian language. There is, there is a huge contrast between the instructions that Paul here is giving and often the narrative that turns up in, in Australian Christianity and in the life of any and every church because we want to be loving people. So we're going to go through a couple of the really obvious things in this, in this passage. We're going to have a look at one strange thing, and then we're going to actually finish with the challenge and with the prayer. So let's do the obvious things first. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter. What book of the Bible are we studying at the moment? Corinthians. Which Corinthians are we studying? Apparently not. I wrote to you in my letter. Paul has sent them a letter before. Uh, we don't have a copy of it. There is no known copy in existence. It's referred to as being extant. And we see these references throughout the scripture to go, there's actually a whole bunch of other things that were written that we don't have. Um, this is why it's interesting sometimes, but also dangerous when someone says, oh, we've discovered this hidden gospel, or we've discovered this, this kind of lost uh, book of, of whoever. Um, I have a rather simplistic view of this, which is that if God wanted you to have the information, you would have the information. And this is why it's important for us to be translating the scriptures we do have into languages that, that people who don't know the Lord or don't have access to the scriptures can have. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world. Two quick points here. What is Paul's ethnicity? He's not Aussie, he's Jewish. Who is he writing to here? He's writing to the Corinthians, and Corinth is a melting pot of Greco-Roman culture, full of different philosophies from all over the world. So when he writes to them and he's saying, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, would Paul and would the Corinthian church have had the same definition of sexually immoral people? Probably not, otherwise this particular issue may not have come up. There is often a contrast when we are chatting with other people of faith between how we define our terms. This is one thing, if we are going to have our minds switched on and to be involved in our culture, talking to them about what God is like, we need to understand that there is going to be a breakdown in communication. 
So here Paul, and we find this throughout other um, other letters that he sends, he actually re-clarifies what he means as sexual immorality. Paul is Jewish. He has a Jewish definition of sexual immorality, which I happen to believe is also Jesus' definition of sexual immorality. But he's writing to people who do not grasp that and do not understand that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But his big point that he's making in these five verses is that when he says stop associating with these people, he's not talking about building an escape pod so that you can escape from the big, bad, nasty world. That is not what Paul is advocating here because he says not at all meaning the people of this world. And he mentions some things here. He says they're immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Sometimes I think... I'm going to label myself as a conservative here because I've just spent a whole lot of time in Melbourne. I'm a conservative, apparently. It's interesting, isn't it, that you hang out with one group of people and you're a conservative, hang out with other groups and you're a liberal. It's I don't. It's like bumper bowling. You're you're in the lane. But the difficulty is that I think sometimes with forms of Christianity which are more organised and are more structured, and we are pretty organised and we're pretty structured. The dilemma is that we can tend towards escape pod forms of Christianity. I'm going to choose my words very carefully here. There are some Christian groups which so want to separate themselves off from sin that they will go out into the desert and build a commune or a nunnery or a monastery because they want to separate themselves from the big, bad, nasty world. There are other groups that will build a compound and put razor wire around the top. And when they turn up to church, they lock the gates behind them. I believe that what Paul is saying here is that is not an option. We talk about this all the time. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We cannot run away from these people. Jesus did not separate himself from people who were suffering and dying, people who were prostitutes and tax collectors. Um, He did not separate himself off from those people. And we should not be separating ourselves off from those people, not at all meaning the people of this world. And then, wow, this is going to be a challenge. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, so someone who worships something that is not God, or slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler, do not even eat with such people. Why does he say don't eat with these people? Because when you sit at a table and you eat the same food, you are acting as equals. This is why no one is allowed to sit down and eat the same food at the same table as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The only person that's allowed to do that is the person that she invites to do that because when you share food from the same table, you're an equal and, and there is a level of very intimate familiarity about that. And Paul here is saying that if someone says that they have come into contact with the real Jesus, that if, they, if the real Spirit of God is at work inside that person's heart and none of this changes, if the person is not fighting against uh, the sexual immorality, which maybe they'd grown up thinking was normal, if they're not fighting against their greed, or against the stuff they used to worship, if they're not fighting to become in control of their tongue, if they're not fighting to get off the bottle, if they're not fighting to become someone with better business practices, if they have stopped fighting, if there is no change in behavior, 
then Paul says, actually, you need to step back because that person has not actually come into contact with Christ yet. That's why he says here, to treat them as an outsider. We see down in verse 13, expel the wicked person from among you. The person is faking it. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. Do not even eat with such people. So we need to have an understanding that our sin, uh, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's greed, which often we don't talk about in Western culture, whether it's idol worship, whether it's uh, slandering people, whether it's being a drunkard, or whether it's swindling people, these things have an effect on the body of Christ. It is always, always, always uncomfortable to talk about sin because none of us are perfect. But like we talked about a fortnight ago, the issue here is this. There's no line in the sand where you go, I can get this close to um, to drunkenness, but because I'm not just there on drunkenness, I'm okay. Actually, what direction are we traveling in? There is no line. With sexual immorality, this seems to be um, a, a common conversation that almost happens with teenagers, is oh, how close can, can we get? How intimate can we get before it's sin? There is no line. What direction are you traveling in? You are either pursuing God or you are pursuing sexual immorality. Um, it's the same with idol worship. Whatever your mind is completely filled with that is not God functions as an idol. And maybe it's a sport or a sports person. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a particular um, title. Any of these things which actually um, supplant, they take the place of, the, of, of God in our, in our life and in our thinking and in our passion, that functions like an idol. These are things that we are supposed to step back from. We are actually called to be countercultural, but it's not we're countercultural in terms of the clothing that we wear or the food that we eat or don't eat. We are countercultural right in here, in our heart. When we come into contact with God, everything changes. Our values change. Paul says this, verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? We need to make sure that we are not seeing people in our town around us who have no idea who God is, or maybe they've been given a really messed up picture of who God is and expecting them to behave like born again on fire for God Christians. If we judge them using the measure of this person should be a born again on fire for God Christian, and we, and we use that measure with the people out and around us, is, is that the way that God viewed us originally? The Scriptures say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is actually a, a clear measure here. What's uncomfortable about, about what Paul is writing here is this is binary. Paul, throughout the New Testament, talks about those who are in Christ and those who are not. And if a person is in Christ, if they've come into contact with Christ, their life gets ignited and transformed. And the evidence that a person has encountered the real Christ is real transformation, real stirring up, real conviction, real wanting to get rid of sin. It's not necessarily that a person wrote a date in the front of the Bible. That's a good thing to do. But Paul here is saying there are, there are people who claim to be a brother or sister. The evidence is the fruit on the tree. Is there transformation happening? And this should be convicting for each of us. In the same way that um, often I think those of us who are more conservative or more structured or more organized can tend towards escape pod 
kind of wanting to separate ourselves off from the big, bad, nasty world, at the, there's a ditch on each side of the road. And I've talked about this before. When we get down the other end, we can so want to embrace people and so want to reach out to people and so want to encourage people and so want to love people that there is never a call to transformation. And I've got to be honest, I think that's a pretty strong message that's being preached in Australia by Christian groups at the moment, is God loves you so much that, that you don't need to actually um, confess your sin and be transformed at all. God loves you as you are, so just keep doing what you're doing. That's the message that I think is getting out there. The dilemma is if a person comes into contact with real God, there will be real transformation. They will walk different. They will talk different. They will have different values. So here Paul is presenting this binary pair of expectations. When we're dealing with those outside of faith in Christ, we understand that their behavior, uh, their thinking has not grown and matured. That means we need to have a hierarchy of what is most important for them to grasp and grow in in that moment. If you come across someone, and I hope you come across a lot of people who have no idea who the Lord is, the first thing that we reach out with is not judgment. That is not the first thing we reach out with. We do not judge that person as we would judge someone who confesses to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? When Jesus meets the woman at the well, who who had an appearance in one of our songs this morning, when Jesus meets with that person, the first thing that person receives is actually he asks them for a drink of water when they were really kind of seen as ceremonially unclean. He should not have even been interacting with them. And he sits and he has a, a drink of water with that person. Paul here has just said if someone claims to know the Lord and their life is full of sin, don't even eat with that person. Jesus turns up to the woman at the well and he asks her for a drink of water because he's, he's reaching out in love. Now, as that conversation unfolds, he calls out the sin in her life. But that's not what he leads with. And as we are going out into Kerrang and into our district, what we lead with is not judgment, is not finger pointing at people going sin, 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 sin. We lead with the love of God. Now, the reason I have this picture up here behind us, I think this is a, a really useful guide, a really useful word picture that we find in Scripture, is that Jesus is the Lamb of God and Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And he is not pretending to be one when he's really the other. So sometimes we can behave like God is really a lion, but he pretends to be a lamb. So, you know, as soon as you come into contact with the love of God, then boom, he's going to smite you. doesn't work that way. He actually is the lamb and he is the lion. And we need to make sure that people, when they, when they come into contact with God, grow into this understanding that God is Loving. He's more loving than any human being. He's more loving than any one of us in the room, but he's also more holy. And our walk with, with the Lord as we go through different life circumstances and different situations is that we will find ourselves experiencing both of these facets of who the Lord is. There are some times where we just need to sit and rest and know that we are loved by God. And there are other times where we sense his holiness that we can't just expect that sin doesn't mean anything anymore, that, that he is precious, that he is perfect. We can't treat him the way we treat everything else. 
So Paul here is describing three different groups of people. The first group of people that Paul is describing here are people who um, are people who want to walk in the light. He's writing this letter to the church because the church has a whole lot of people in it that actually want to get on with God. We'll go back up here to this previous one. He's writing to the church. And in this he's saying, you know what, you need to cast out this wicked person from among you. Those of you that want to get on with God, those of you that want to walk and talk with him, those of you that want to walk in the light, you need to walk in the light. The second group that he's talking to here are the church leaders where he's saying, you know what, you actually need to tell people the truth. As we come into contact with the love of God, we grow into an understanding that he's not just the lamb, he is also the lion. And we need to understand both. The third group he's talking to is the person who is actually not interested in being transformed. So I'm going to put this up here. I think this is a useful tool. Um, and if you've never seen this before, I encourage you to write these words down. There are only three reasons that someone who comes into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ will not end up parting with their sin and living a life that's transformed. And again, do we, do we get perfect at this in this life? No, but this is the fight that's on. The first one is that they are actually unaware that what they're doing is sin. When um, I've shared this story before. When mum and dad were in PNG many, many years ago, um, there were some young guys that, that gave their life to the Lord and, uh, and it was really great, you know, a whole lot of work happening. And, and they turned up, mum and dad turned up one day, well, I think it was mum, and some tarpaulins had been stolen. So Sunday school up there is you put tarps on the ground, kids sits on the tarp, and you sit and do lessons there. But they didn't pack the tarps up. They got stolen. But as mum was driving in through the church gates, here are three of these young guys going out through the side fence of the church with their bush knives, so big machetes. So mum called out to them and said, what, where are you going? And they said, oh, we found the people that took the tarps, so we're going to go sort them out. Unaware. And mum said, no, 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 no. We don't do that now. Uh, we, we forgive people and, and we, we don't chop people up anymore. We don't go cut people. And, and these, these young men were so thankful. Thank you so much for telling us that. We had no idea. And this should, I think, in many ways be the way that we approach sin when we actually see something playing out in the life of someone else that says that they know Jesus. Maybe there's someone that says they know the Lord and, and our default setting here is, oh, we should, we should stop eating with them and we should expel them from among us. Let's just check the awareness thing first because maybe they're like the Corinthians and the teachers they've had and they have not been adequately instructed. Maybe it's the conversation that needs to happen is to go, um, you know what, here's the category that that behavior is in. Are you aware that that's actually damaging or are you aware that that's that's sin and the person's response might be the response of these young guys in png going wow okay i didn't realize that see awareness is easy fixed the second one unable is a bit more difficult when we spoke about this um, a fortnight ago i made the comment that if there were people that wanted to catch up with me over the last fortnight um, to talk through stuff that was actually really difficult in terms of parting with sin more than happy to catch up and so thank you to some of you who have actually been very, very brave. I know some people have sought me out to chat one-on-one. -on -one. 
And I'm trusting there are others who have found other people to, to confess with and to talk through things because each one of us wrestles with things. Um, it says in 1 John, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we lie and we call Christ a liar. Every one of us has stuff that we need to deal with. And sometimes we just feel stuck, really, really, really stuck, that there's a sin which has either become habit or there's a sin uh, which has become uh, a chemical addiction of some sort. And this this is also not necessarily a person's unwillingness but a feeling of powerlessness. There are some people that feel that they are powerless to actually change what's going on in their life. So I'll give you an example. There was a... um a study that was done with Vietnam veterans, that often Vietnam veterans, when they were actually deployed, it was an American study looking at American troops, there was a high usage of illicit drugs. So uh, heroin, cocaine, whatever they could get their hands on over there. And, and the question, the very real scary question is, these men will come home. Are we bringing back thousands upon thousands upon thousands of heavy usage, illicit, drug-addicted men. By and large, what happened is that when they were brought home, the ones who were able to be reintegrated into a loving environment or who had family or who had something to come home to, the chemical addiction stopped. It was the ones that still needed to medicate the, the disturbed soul inside here where that continued. And it's the same whether it's a gambling addiction, it's the same whether it's lust and pornography or sexual addiction, it's the same whether it's alcoholism or other drugs, that often it's not just a chemical addiction. The chemical addiction is really, really damaging and destructive, but often it's also the symptom, not the cause. And when the Lord declares that we will be free from the power of sin. It's not just that we will be free from sinful behaviors. It's that we will be free from the brokenness, the actual state of sin being cut off from God deep inside of our heart. And and there are people that need to, to end up going on a journey to understand the love of God and to be brought into the love of the body of Christ. And in that space, the need to medicate with an illicit drug uh, or with sex or alcohol or gambling or, or a hundred other things, that is where the power of that breaks off. They actually experience the kingdom of God. So for some people, the feeling of being unable is very, very, very real. Unwillingness we can deal with, a sense of powerlessness, the body of Christ is equipped to address. We have the spirit, we have the gifts of, of the spirit as well. We are able to address both of these two. What Paul is talking about in this passage about casting the person out is an unwillingness. Um, there was a Puritan author by the name of Thomas Watson, and he spoke about the, the reasons that people don't actually end up dealing with sin and live a transformed life. And he said the worst one is just laziness, that we actually can't be bothered dealing with sin. Some other things that stop us from dealing with it is pride. I'm unwilling to actually address the sin in my life because it means that I will have to accept that I'm not doing well. Pride, sometimes, respectability, saving face. Sometimes we will not deal with our sin because if that thing actually comes out into the light to get dealt with, 
gossip is going to happen and we're actually going to end up being hurt, maybe even hurt by brothers and sisters in the church. So sometimes we are unwilling to deal with our sin because of the fear and the shame attached to that. Unwillingness, the only way that that can be addressed is for the person themselves to choose Christ and the pursuit of Christ as being more valuable than any other thing. If Jesus is more valuable than our reputation, if Jesus is more valuable than than any shame, if Jesus is more valuable than our pride, if Jesus is more valuable than our ego or, or about any gossip which might happen, if Jesus is the most valuable thing, then we can part with our sin. Very, very, very hard to do. Very hard to do. It's no longer an issue of being unaware or being unable. Now it comes down to the choice of the person as to the value of Christ. Paul here in, in this passage let me go back a little bit. Here in verse 4 and 5, because we're going to pray this in a minute, Paul is deliberately here speaking about someone who has made their choice, that they have chosen, they will not hand over their sin. They will not part with their sin. And that is a very clear statement about what is more valuable, either the person's control or the person's pride, or the person's sense of self, or the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is who Paul is talking about, someone who is unwilling. And these are his instructions. Verse 4, When you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. We talked about this, that the aim in Paul's thinking is that the person would be saved. That's the end result. That's the end goal, is that something would happen if the person is unwilling to deal with their sin, that still something would happen and that the person might be saved. I gave you two weeks warning, so we're going to pray this now. And it is, it is my hope, it is really my hope that in, in this room right now, we're in the first two categories. If there is sin, where there is sin going on in our life, that it's a lack of awareness or it's uh, even a feeling of powerlessness, we can address those things. But if you are here this morning or if you're listening to this recording and you have made a decision to not ever part with your sin or if you have made a decision that it is part of you, for the sake of your soul, we are now going to pray that the Lord would place you outside of his protection. We're going to use the words that Paul here wrote. I'm just going to read them out here. Lord Jesus, we affirm this morning that the spirit that you have sent into the world is present among us. We affirm that the spirit that was at work in Paul the Apostle is the spirit that is present. Inasmuch as the Spirit is present, we understand that you are here with us. Lord, we understand that your power here is present, as present now as it was in Corinth, as it was in Paul. So, Lord Jesus, we pray now for those 
who claim to be our brothers and our sisters. We pray first and foremost, Lord, for repentance, for conviction of sin and repentance, that we would not be unaware and also that we would not be unable, that we would know your power to be transformed people. But Lord, where there are those who have made their decision to never part with their sin and where they are holding on to that is more precious than you, Lord, we pray now that they would be handed over to Satan, that they would be placed outside of your protection so that their souls may be redeemed, but that their flesh may be destroyed if that is what it takes for you yourself to be glorified and for you to receive them into your presence. Lord Jesus, I ask right now for every one of us in this room that we would understand that you are the lion and the lamb. As we reach out to those around us, would we faithfully represent you? Would we witness to you as you are? Lord God, I ask that you would fill us with courage and boldness to share about you with everyone that we come into contact with. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to look inward at the things in our heart and in our mind, our behaviors and our decisions. And Lord, where there are things that are clearly not of you, where there is sin, would you extract it from us? Lord, I pray that you would help us to preserve the unity of the church and where there are people who have things in their life that they are journeying out of and dealing with, cause us to be such a loving group of people that people would not fear the gossip of the church, that people would look forward to the love of the church and the support of the church as they journey towards you and away and out of sin. Lord Jesus, we, we pray all the time that we would be your people. So, Lord God, with these really hard things, with these difficult moments, would you help them to sink in and, and to really shore up the way that you are constructing us and building us? Would you really consolidate the work that you are doing in us as your people? We do not ask any of these things lightly, and we do not ask these things for our glory but Lord Jesus, we say, come and build your kingdom. We commit all these things to you in your precious name. Amen.